fun fact, I was actually a radio DJ back in the Philippines. I did that as I was finishing high school and kind of, you know, supplemented my income. So the side hustle gig was kind of like, it just became second nature to me. Do you remember how much you were earning as a CNA and then as an RN in that home? I do, I do, because I have that same first paycheck. It was my first paycheck from the States, so I have it saved. It was $10.72. Wow. An hour, yeah. Gosh, that's painful. 2013, <laughs> yeah. A little less than two years until I finally got an, a hospital job, and it was not within the city. I had to go to the suburbs for somebody to, you know, hey, hire me. I have this experience. It didn't take me long to break six figures once I got to where a couple years where I got into this hospital. Wow. Shifting the mindset of I have to do this to I get to do this really changed it up for me. Like I had access to all these things. It's just that no one teaches you that you do have access to that. What is up, guys? Jason here. Welcome back to the channel in our series, Nurses to Riches, The Road to Fire. Over the years, I've gotten several questions from nurses trained overseas who want to move and get licensed in the United States. Well, in this video, we're going to be speaking with a nurse who got his bachelor's degree in nursing in the Philippines and moved to the U.S. He's here to talk to us about his journey and how he ended up going from working as a CNA in a nursing home to a PIC nurse in one of the largest hospital systems in the country and now a coach for nurses wanting to grow and monetize themselves on social media. So with that, Jumer, tell us where you're from and why you decided to become a nurse. Absolutely, Jason. I have been a nurse for a little over 10 years now. I think it's 11. It just flew by so fast. I started out in a nursing home, a skilled nursing facility. And what a lot of people don't realize is that that's a common route for a lot of foreign educated immigrant nurses to go through and start with. So I did that. And then I found my way into a hospital where I gained, you know, most of my knowledge in acute care. And then I packaged all that and found my way into CVICU, which really, really tremendously opened up my passion for critical care. And then now I am a full-time pick nurse. And this is something that I could see myself doing, you know, for the next 10, 15 years. It's, it's fantastic. Cool. All right. So now let's go back to your past. Okay. I'm guessing you're Filipino. Am yes, I, I am. Yes. Okay. You guessed that right. Okay, you said- Is you your were... wife Filipino, by the way? She is. She... I can't zoom it in, <laughs> but I, I, can't, I can see some, some yeah. clues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. She is. She definitely is. She actually moved to the United States when she was 11 years old. Okay. Um, I moved to the U.S. when I was five, so I grew up in the Dominican- well, I was born in the Dominican Republic. Mm. And I... yeah. yeah. So I want to know, were you born in the Philippines and then moved to the U.S.? Absolutely. I was. I was born and raised in the Philippines. I moved here when I was 19. I just turned 32 last month and the journey has been incredible. I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, it was a struggle to assimilate at 19 years old, you know, uprooting your life. I finished college at 19, by the way. Wow. So it, it, it is a common thing to finish college a little bit earlier because at the time we didn't have that K-12 program. And you would basically just kind of, you know, get thrown into college and then take the boards. I graduated high school, I think, around 16, so 17, 18, 19, 20. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so Wait. like 15. Yep. Yeah. So it is a, it is a common thing. And uh, it was perfect timing because at that time they were trying to get me, you know, to immigrate before I turned 21. So I finished my boards, I got my license, and then it was, you know, it was just a matter of time until I sat for the NCLEX here. Now, I know this might be um, a weird question, but why uh -huh. have a Filipino accent? <laughs> You're not the first person. Even my husband yeah. thinks that the same thing. And I'm like, sometimes I lapse into it and he'll be like, no, you don't. And I'm like, I just said something really weird. <laughs> I fun, fun fact, I was I was actually a radio DJ back in the Philippines. I did that. I did that in high school, not in high school. I did that. I was as I was finishing high school and kind of, you know, supplemented my income. So the side hustle gig was kind of like it just became second nature to me. Yeah. So have you always spoken English? I learned. I learned pretty well. I knew I knew that when I was, you know, going to graduate college that I was going to move. So I wanted to set myself up 
for success as easy as possible to assimilate to, you know, blend in because at that time it was easier for me at the time to do that route and blend in. I see. So how long did you do radio DJ before? Oh my goodness, about two years. And then clinicals kicked in and it was just tough to juggle all that at the same time. So you were doing the DJing, the radio stuff while you were in school? While I was in nursing school. And what most people don't realize is that nursing school in the Philippines, we do clinicals in different times, different shifts. Like you couldn't be just like, oh, one month of, you know, clinicals in the ICU for for days, uh, day shift. But then over there, it could mean that you're doing didactic for like three days on yeah. days. And then you could be nights and then the next day you could be days. It's, 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 it's insane. So in between, I found that I could do it, but I, it was just not sustainable. I see. So you gave that up and then you went on to continue with nursing school. Absolutely. And how long did it take you to complete your nursing program over there? It, my bachelor's took four years. We don't have associates or anything like that. It was a choice of being a nursing assistant or a nurse. Nothing, oh. not much in between. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how much did it cost you? Oh, my goodness. It was cheaper to fly to the States. <laughs> than... <laughs> Let me rephrase that. It was easier and cheaper and economical to, you know, visit family here than maybe a whole entire degree. I see. Versus, so, so you, you know, actually, here. so it was cheaper to come here or was it cheaper to pay for the degree than to come here? Both. <laughs> oh, okay. so no, so I think my degree, my nursing degree, my bachelor's was like maybe four, $5,000. In your entire bachelor's degree. Exactly. Wow. And I have a lot of cousins and family members that send their kids to the Philippines to finish nursing school so they don't have any student loans. And I'm, I'm pretty, pretty blessed to be, yeah. you know, one of those. <laughs> so did you go to school with a lot of students who were from the U.S. and their parents had sent them over there? Absolutely. And I am still in touch with them. They flew back to the States every three months, maybe just because like at that time, how much were economy tickets like yeah. 600, 400? And this was like 10 years ago. So where in the Philippines was this? In Davao, uh, which is in Mindanao, the southernmost part. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a friend who's married to a Filipina from Davao, uh -huh. and they have a YouTube channel. They stopped posting for a while now, but they have like 72,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel. Wow. Them, I was like, why don't you monetize this? Something? Exactly. And, and he just said, I don't know. I feel like he, he loves filming himself and his family, but he just hates editing the videos. I said, just hire an a video editor and you have your problem solved. Totally understand that. Yeah. At some point you have to outsource when you grow big. Yeah. And, you know, they they did more like family vlogging type of stuff because he's white, he's Caucasian and she's Filipina. So, you know, it's like a, it's a cool mix and people re can relate to that. So especially Filipinos who move to the U.S., you know, that's often the case. And I told him, you know, this would be an easy way to monetize, especially because he'd be speaking with nurses that are moving from the Philippines to the U.S. Right. So maybe he could help mentor them on their process to moving to the U.S. But I guess he just he just didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And now he's trying to figure out another way to like retire early. And it's just like you had the platform. You could have used it. Exactly. <laughs> you double down on what works. Yeah, you know, man. that's how success works is that what works well, double double down on it. Yeah. You don't have to like keep expanding because something it, yeah. it's going to happen. Absolutely. So you said 10 years ago is when you moved to the U.S. Mm -hmm. About and 11 now. Yeah. 11 now. Mm -hmm. You know, I graduated about 11 years ago. Uh, my <laughs> directing program also BSN. But where did you move to? What state and what city? Oh, man. Imagine moving from a tropical, humid climate to directly to Madison in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. I was there for three years. Oh, yeah, I lived with my brother. Like, you know, every Filipino family is an extended family. So imagine yeah. cramming five, six people in there. At the time, my nieces were like 11 yeah. and five. And it was just like, it's chaotic, fun, but it was economical, it was practical. And it just humbles you and really grounds you to see how far you've come in life. And I think sharing this story is truly inspirational to a lot of nurses that, you know, start out that Filipino nurses for that matter that start out kind of like the same route that I did. So can you explain to me what the process was, if you still remember, of finishing your degree, your BSN in the Philippines, and then applying to become a resident 
or like, a, you know, transferring your license over here to the U.S. How was the process? Like, what steps did you have to take to do that? So when it was 2001, uh, 2001, 2003, it was my brother and my sister-in-law that moved to the States first. My sister-in-law is a nurse and still is a nurse. She's a nurse manager now. But that opportunity, that opened up the doors for my mom to be petitioned. And then when I, you know, finally was getting to the age of 21, well, not 21, because then I couldn't move if I turned 21. Oh. So they call it as a dependent. So as my mom, I think at the time she only had to live here for like two years. So then that was up. And then she petitioned me. And at the time I was 19. And it was just like I mentioned earlier, it was perfect timing that I could finish my, you know, my bachelor's, my school, get licensed there. And then I just, all I had to do was basically move, sit for the NCLEX and then find a job. So did you have to take the NCLEX over there or did you take the NCLEX over here? So you can, but it was it was just ideal for me to take it when when I moved here. You would be definitely given a sort of I forgot what it's called but like an authority to test yeah that's that's what I'm sure yes. I'm pretty sure of but I'm not entirely sure if you can take it there I think you can yeah and is there an international exam that you have to take before you move over here so different states require a lot of foreign educated nurses to take different kinds of exams and one of them was CGFNS. I forgot what it stands for, but it was like a 400 or 600 question test. Wow. I actually took it twice mm. because I just wanted to take it the first time. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, it's just easy. I know yeah. this. <laughs> nope. I had to prepare for it. And oh. it's exactly why I didn't prepare for it because I thought that and the NCLEX were basically the same thing. But they're not. And Clex is like, what, 125 questions, yeah. pass at 75. But this one was like 400, and I was like exhausted in the middle of it. Jeez. Yeah. And those are all nursing questions that you're being asked in that exam? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, so oh. I know some of the, the non-compact states yeah. yeah, require you to take the CGFNS. So I did CGFNS. I had to take the IELTS. I had to do the IELTS. I think it was online-based yeah, one yeah, yeah. so um, california would be included in that list then you would have to take that exam for california i doubt it so correct oh. me if i'm wrong there's only two as of like you know that fiasco in 2012 um where they kind of pulled back a little bit in hiring foreign educated nurses from the philippines yes. yeah as of like that time they only allow you know foreign educated nurses from two different schools in the Philippines. So it, it's it's getting harder and harder. Like, Cal I would love to move to California. Like, my husband and I are looking at San Diego. We're like, we can't, we can't afford it. But also, it's going to be hard to move because yeah. they're, they're going to want you to go back to school to finish up some, some, you know, something in the curriculum. Yeah. Oh, I see. You know, because if you come to California and you have less than a year of experience, they require a lab for microbiology. Mm -hmm. But if you have more than a year of experience, you actually don't need that lab. So a lot of people have asked me that in the past. And that's one thing that I have to mention every time is that you don't need the lab if you have more than a year of experience. But, you know, if you're being trained in another country and you're coming to, like you said, every state is going to be different. So you have to look at the board of nursing for every state that you're applying to, to make sure that you meet all of the requirements. But where are you currently work, are living right now? I live in Houston, Texas. I work in a large teaching hospital. When I moved here, I didn't know what was in store for me. I didn't know that I was going to be working in one of the largest, if not the largest medical center in the world. It has about 50 hospitals in, in the medical center. And I work with one of the top. I'm, I'm really proud of that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So then let's go back and let's bring ourselves to the present. Mm -hmm. So when you first got to the U.S., how did you manage to land the job? I, it was tough, actually. It was tough because no one, I didn't have nursing experience either from the Philippines or here. So I started out as a CNA, a nursing assistant in a nursing home. And eventually I, when I t passed my boards, the NCLEX, they absorbed me to become one of the RNs. And I did that. And as soon as I, you know, had enough experience, I had to leave and got into a hospital. And that just kind of like snowballed into getting to where I am now. I see. And how long did you work as a CNA before you became an RN over here, a licensed RN over here? Yeah, very brief, about three, four months. Oh, that's pretty quick. 
Yeah. And yeah. And do you remember how much you were earning as a CNA and then as an RN in that home? I do. I do. Because I have that same first paycheck. It was my first <laughs> paycheck from the state. So I have it saved. It was $10.72. Wow. An hour. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's painful. 2013. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then as an RN, how much were you earning? I remember vaguely it was somewhere around 21. Okay. And, yeah. And this was in Wisconsin, correct? This was in Wisconsin in okay. a nursing home. Okay. And were you paying right at the time or were you still living with family at, at this time? I, I did live with family. I The only bill I had was basically my car, my car note, which was like, I don't know, 100, <laughs> 150. And then my phone bill, which was like $30. Yeah. Wow. And it was a family plan. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So how long did you last in this nursing home before you decided to make a move? Oh, it only took me two no a little less than two years until i finally got an, a hospital job and it was not within the city it, i had to go to the suburbs for somebody to you know hey hire me i have this experience yeah but this is what i tell everybody because everybody assumes that if you're applying for a job and you don't get a job it's because you're unlucky it's not necessarily that it's just you're just not applying for enough places to work correct. at correct you should sure. be willing to move far or work far if that's what it takes for you to get a job. Exactly. So how long did you have to commute to get to this next job? It was a little over 45 minutes, I remember. I would sometimes, because I, I didn't get my own place at the time to live where the hospital was. And I had to drive back home uh, before shift, after shift. It was 45 minutes and it was, you know, in the middle of winter sometimes. <laughs> Not fun. <laughs> yeah. So did you not like your experience in a nursing home? What What was your reasoning for wanting to leave? So my alter, I, I think at the time, and this is what I, you know, talk about with my clients and, you know, a lot of new grads and a lot of new nurses is that they're so afraid to go against the grain of, you know, wanting to get into the ICU or the ED. Like that's the pinnacle of nursing is yeah. what we consider it. But then... You know, at that time, I didn't know that, well, I didn't know better because all I wanted to do was get into a hospital, get that ICU experience. And then I thought that would catapult me into all these other amazing things, which it did. But if you're dead set on something, that kind of limits your options. And, you you know, nursing has a ton of amazing non-traditional nursing specialties. There's forensics nursing. There's, you know, uh, you could work for a medical device company, insurance pick nursing, which is what I do full time. Yeah. Like, but I, I, you know, I wish I knew not to pigeonhole myself, you know, so early on in my career. Yeah. So how long did it take you to, from the moment you started applying to this job as an ICU nurse to the moment you actually got a job offer? I think from, from the nursing home, right? Yes. So you were applying for ICU jobs specifically in the nursing home? Yes, I, I, no, I wasn't. So I knew that I had to get to maybe an acute care floor. I see. And that's what I, I did, I got. Uh, it, it maybe took like three months, okay. um, you know, after seeing that I did have a little bit of experience. And then from there, I moved on to the ICU. So you're hearing it here for you guys that are watching this video. If you're working in a nursing home and you think it's impossible to go from a nursing home to an acute care facility, look. Jumer did it, mm -hmm. <laughs> so you can do it too. And, and you know, you're not the only one, Jumer. Like I know so many nurses who have gone from the nursing home to the acute care facilities in the hospitals. And and they've gone and transitioned to like management and different positions in other hospitals. So, I mean, you can do it. You just got to put yourself out there and make yourself known. Otherwise, nobody's going to know that you want a position in, that, in, in another facility. Right? Exactly. So you got this job offer. And then how long was the training? Because you've never worked in the ICU before. This is new to you. Did they give you like, you know, three months, six months of, of training before they let you off on your own? So when I jumped into the ICU, I did have about a year of experience in the acute care mm -hmm. uh, floor. And then that ICU training was pretty solid three months, I remember. And then I was buddied with somebody, partnered with somebody. And it was night, so it was like easier to yeah. kind of get into the flow of things and really learn on your own pace. But the buddy system truly helped because then I knew that I had a resource like that's probably right next to me or across the hallway that I could just grab for, you know, something. Yeah. And how long were you, uh, how much were you making in that position? 
when I left, I don't remember exactly how much when I started, but when I left, this was in Austin. I made tw- 2017. I made 27 something an hour in a cardiac ICU, a uh, CV ICU. I see. And you, you yeah. were working three twelves per week? Three twelves. Yeah. All night shifts. All nights. Okay. And then why did you leave that position? We were fortunate that my husband had a job offered in Houston. And Is he a nurse too? No, he's he's in telecommunication. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he had a job offer and knowing that a nurse can work basically anywhere, yeah. I had to move with him. And yeah. it's been seven years now and it's, it's fantastic. Wow. So did you just apply as soon as you found out that he needed to, he wanted to move and he got a job offer? Yes. So how long did it take for you to get that job offer after you started applying? It was quick. It was it was a hot commodity because I had that I had that experience, you know, CVICU, I guess nights, but it was it was mar- as soon as I put that on my resume, it was marketable, it was solid. I had like five different jo- not job offers, but like interviews right off the bat, just, you know, uploading everything. And at the time I just wanted to get a job. I didn't know exactly what kind of ICU I wanted to get into, but I just really needed something and I was fortunate that I, you know, that's when it opened up the doors for me to get into this teaching hospital that I am with now. And why did you choose that hospital over any other hospital? They are number one, a teaching hospital. Knowing that they're a teaching hospital, they will have a ton of resources. They, I want to be a part of something that, you know, makes sure that the employees grow within the hospital. There's a career path for the nurses and you will have you know, utmost support in in terms of like maybe skills and your career. Now, this did this hospital have a union or no, no, no they don't. Have you ever worked at a hospital that has a union? Nope. I see. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I I've heard some great things. <laughs> yeah. Because I've spoken to several nurses and most nurses have never worked in a union represented hospital. I but when I worked in New York, most hospitals in New York do have unions. Many hospitals in California, most of them actually have unions as well. But a lot of the hospitals in the South and in the Midwest do not have unions. So I always want to compare experiences between working in a non-union hospital and a unionized hospital. So how much was the starting salary then when you got that job? I remember that it, so 27, it was pretty significant because I remember having like a couple extra hundred, oh. <laughs> a paycheck. Oh. So it was like maybe, I don't remember, 34, 35, yeah. I'm 27, yeah. which was fantastic. Yeah. So when you got this job offer, did you immediately like accept it or did you give, ask them to give you a couple of weeks or months to accept the offer? So because we were in the process of moving, I just said yes to everything and then interviewed. And then I this was it was just perfect timing. They wanted to see me when we were kind of like house hunting. Yeah. And I showed up and it was a great interview. It was, you know, you can feel the culture from the interview. And it was just the vibes were right. And I jumped right on it. And did they offer a relocation bonus? Absolutely. They did. Oh, no. Sorry. Oh. The, the the ICU one did, but this one didn't. Uh, so the yeah, ICU because, one in Wisconsin? Yes, because, I no, see. sorry, the, in Austin. In, um, yeah, from Wisconsin. So when they knew that I was moving from out of state, they did give me some oh. relocation. Okay, so was that the one that you interviewed for and you said while you were there, you interviewed for it and they offered you a position or was this a different one? This is in Houston, the one that offered me the position. Okay, okay, yeah. I see. But you had the interview while you were in Houston, correct? When I was visiting, yes. While you were visiting Houston. Okay. And then they gave you the job offer. Did you ask for a relocation bonus or did they just give it to you? So that at the time I didn't know any better and I just wanted to move. I just wanted a job. Like I was just, you know, like I wanted to have a job as soon as my, you know, husband, you know, started his. So it was just like, I'll take it. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. And what unit were you working on in Houston when you first started? I started out in the cardiac ICU. I was there for like maybe five, six years. And then the pandemic hit. And then. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the pandemic hit. How were you guys affected? Did you guys lose your jobs? Did you have any pay cuts? So I was, we were very fortunate that we were, you know, fully staffed at the time. We did become, you know, coming from a super high device kind of unit. 
-hmm. as a cardiac ICU, you have all these, you know, contraptions, all these devices. And then all of a sudden that just gets thrown out the window because everybody's being proned. Everybody's on ARDS protocol. Everybody's tubed. Everybody's sedated. So we were learning kind of, you know, protocols on the fly. We were not learning things on the fly. We knew these things. It was just that everybody, you know, I, I'm sure you understand you were learning things oh, yeah. right on the spot yeah. and it, it was terrifying because you know watching the news and all of that the time came when I when you, know, you just kind of stopped keeping up and just focused on the work but job security was there definitely needed us they opened up we became the dedicated COVID ICU one of the dedicated COVID ICUs we had a medical ICU and then they opened up us because of the overflow and some other units and it was just it was amazing how much and how quickly they were able to get everybody on board and execute some plans I see. I'm surprised you didn't take the route of wanting to become a CRNA since you already had all that critical care experience. <laughs> I tried. It's, uh, I didn't want to move out of state, for one. And I knew to get into the programs in Houston, it was going to be so competitive, like so incredibly competitive. And plus, I didn't want to take org chem and possibly a GRE. <laughs> so there's that. I just, you know, I love bedside. I, at the time, I did love bedside so much. Absolutely. So how long did you work in that position before you moved on to something else? I, a little after the pandemic, like six or nine months into the pandemic, mm. you know, burnt out, kicked in and it was, it was time. And at the time I was nearing 10 years of, you know, being a nurse and I really, really wanted to switch gears and find something new. And a pick position opened, a pick mm. nurse position opened within the hospital. And I, you know, knew somebody that knew someone. And I got in at the right time because the need for vascular access at the time was just like, it blew up. Like everybody was needing picks, everybody was needing midlines, mm. and they needed to have more people on board. And, the, you know, at the time, they thought it was just going to be, oh, one nurse. But then it was like, one nurse after the other was hired and we just grew into an amazing team of like 13 nurses now. Wow. Okay. So one question, because there's some viewers that watch this channel who are not nurses yet. Yeah. They don't know what a pick nurse is. They don't know what midlines are. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I could have a whole entire course or lecture about this because I'm <laughs> very, very passionate about it. So I am a vascular access nurse, also known as a pick nurse. What I do and where you can find me is either in the hospital or in the community. So majority of PIC teams are in the hospital. They place PIC lines and midlines and sometimes ultra difficult ultrasound guided PIVs. PIC lines are essentially long IVs that are inserted at the top of the arm right here and the tip of it ends in the largest vein of your body and that large vein can handle any kind of medication that you need. And it takes a specialized training to place these lines and that's where the pick nurses come in because this is all we do all day every day and there's also that midline which is the shorter version of it basically it's longer than a piv but it's shorter than that pick line and it ends about right here so the insertion point would be right here ends right here so it's like the, the middle of the line it sounds like that would be a position i would love to be in because Right now, like I work in the ER. Yeah. Um, I got my ultrasound guided IV certification. And there you go. I'm always inserting ultrasound guided IVs. Like it is my <laughs> favorite thing to do while I'm at work. It's absolutely fun. And once you have that in you and that dexterity is just, you know, it's impossible not to play with it or have fun with it. And the best pick nurses are truly the ones that already have their ultrasound guided experience or start IVs because the freehand skills, they're irreplaceable. They're fantastic. So how long have you been doing that for now? Uh, it's been two years now, coming up on three next May, March. Yeah. And do you do training too? Like, do you train other nurses on how to do it as well? Or are you just focused on placing the lines? There's not much opportunities, especially in Houston or in Texas to do that. I know that there are businesses where they uh, are run by pick nurses and they train to certify them. But in my current role, we are limited to teach, uh, sorry, to in placing them only. But, you know, whenever there's an opportunity to teach somebody, I always, always go the extra mile to do that. And how many hours a week are you working? I work 36 hours, 72 bi-weekly. 
Are you? Is it also nights or are you back? Are you on day shift now? So we operate seven to seven, and it's days, days only. We don't have. I know some of the vascular access teams have twenty four hour coverage, but we only operate twelve hours a day. Wow. And yeah. uh, like, do you know how much you're making now? I'm sure you probably do. <laughs> yeah, I do, and it didn't take me long to break six figures once I got to where a couple years where I got into this hospital. Wow. Yeah. So do you, if you don't mind me asking, how much do you pay for your rent or your mortgage? We pay, and this is going to be frowned upon because it's almost like a mortgage. <laughs> we pay 2500 for our three bed two. It's 1300 square foot. That's not too bad. I mean, <laughs> this is well, are, New York though. I'm saying that's not yeah. bad. Yeah. Jason, are you from Northern or Southern California? I am in Northern California. There you go. It, it's, I mean, but still, like, you, you understand. Like, it's yeah. not a whole lot, but it is, when you're here, it, it is. You but, are oh, right. Yeah. It, I have to put that into into perspective. Like, <laughs> if you are in Houston and, yeah, you're not making $100 an hour. Exactly. Yeah, it, it adds up. Yep. <laughs> but I'm sure you're in a location that you really enjoy living in. Yeah. Absolutely. We are right in the middle of things. Before this, we actually owned a home and we are mortified for like the next 10 to 20 years. We don't want to own a home. It's 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 a lot. It was the dream at the time. We, you know, achieved that dream, but it was a lot of nightmare, especially that last freeze that we had about two years ago. Yeah, it was it was a money pit. Wow. Can you go into detail? I want to know more about this because I know that was all over the news. Yeah. Uh, so definitely. Let, let me know what happened. What, what was going on at the time that you had to sell the house? The pandemic basically pushed us to get out of renting. We wanted to have privacy. We wanted to, you know, have a space where you could you where you can have a backyard and just chill. And we have a dog. So that's how millennials do it. They buy houses for their dogs. <laughs> and, you know, the freeze happened a little after the pandemic. And I remember just kind of walking into the garage and the powers went out. I hear something pop and it was the pipes, the horizontal, wait, horizontal pipes in the living room, in the kitchen, in the garage. And it was just freaking out. I didn't know where my water line was. I didn't know... If I had, you know, the power went out, if I actually had to turn off the breaker, like these homeowner things. And it was just like, oh, a year into homeowning. We don't need to know everything yet. But I wish I did. And uh, thankfully, my husband was home at the time. And we were out of power for like maybe three, four days. It was on and off sporadically. And we had to basically move into a friend's house for a while. You know, we were trying to basically stay warm and we had a dog and it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. That must have been traumatizing. Just <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. All the money that you must have spent to try to get everything repaired. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure that must have cost tens of thousands of dollars. And we're, we are, I, I'm happy to share that we finally paid that off. Oh, like just, yeah. you know, about last year. Was it last year? Yes, that was last year from all of that stuff. We've consolidated some stuff too because they, they offered some payment plans and all of that. And it, it was just a great feeling to really detach from that idea of home ownership and then at the same time knock out the debt that you had. Yeah. You know, I'm surprised that, FEMA was not involved in like reimbursing homeowners for things like that, because I'm sure you're not the only one that was affected mm -hmm. in that way. And the many mm -hmm. there's people that also died because right you know, because of the the weather. Um, Absolutely. So you decided to sell your house because of all the trouble that you were going through with it. So you lived there for what, like one, two years, three years, 2020, 22, 23. We moved out and got this apartment in, I believe, March. So. Did you end up selling the house for more than you paid for it? Yeah, we we made some profit out of it. Nothing crazy, but it was it was just enough and a little bit extra to you know put in a high yield savings and yeah. in an investment. So it it was it was just cathartic. Let me say that. <laughs> yeah. So has your rent gone up dramatically since you first moved into that location? Oh, not yet. We just moved here in about oh, six months ago. Oh, yeah, six months ago. So we're we're on standby for that because we don't know yet. We don't know. We have, oh my gosh, we have 12-foot ceilings and our power bill has, you know, skyrocketed. But it's like, it's nice to have 
tall ceiling. I, know, I love that. It makes the place look a lot larger than it actually is. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Like we have 10 foot ceilings in our house right mm-hmm. now, but we were, before we moved into this house, we were looking at a house that had 20 foot ceilings. Oh my God. Uh-huh. And it would have been perfect, but it was just too, the house yeah. overall was too small for yeah. us. With like three bedrooms. And we currently have like four, four and a half bedrooms. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So, all right. So now you've been living here for about six months or so. What are you doing presently besides your current job? I am an Instagram coach for nurses. I didn't exactly know how I wanted to package the whole being a coach. I, you know, tried a lot of things. I It was a, a journey of trial and error. But when I finally hired this business coach and we really dug deep into how I want to help and who I want to help, it was right at the core. It was going to be nurses that want to monetize, you know, their Instagram and their expertise. And I saw that lack and I want to bridge that gap to be able to help other nurses see their creative potential uh, outside of just making potluck flyers or posters. (laughs) (laughs) So were you in Instagram and growing a following before this, you got into all of this? Yeah, I was, but it was, uh, you know, throwing spaghetti at a wall and just hoping something lands. Mm -hmm. And finally, like I mentioned earlier, that business coach really put things into perspective. And that's what I want to share and be able to help other nurses transform themselves into just like, I know you you want something, but how do we, how do we get to that something when you don't have a plan? And that's where I come in is where we come up with a plan. And how did you find this business coach? She reached out to me on Instagram. I didn't have that much following at the time. So I didn't get a whole lot of traction from strangers, from people, from clients. And now I've just broken like two days ago, broken 50K. Wow. Uh, yeah, on Instagram. And, yeah, thank you. And I think at the time I'm, when we met, I only had about maybe 40K. Still, it's a lot. Um, but she just like said all these things that I, you know, look past this whole time and that was enough you know things that I looked past within you know what I did was enough to basically make something out of and it's just exciting that you know I get to share that kind of mindset with other nurses. So I've interviewed several nurses in the past who have paid for mentoring coaching courses I I just interviewed a nurse a few days ago who said that she paid fifty thousand dollars for her first mentorship yeah but she quit her job she is now making anywhere from 20 to sixty thousand dollars a month probably yes a month and now she values so much her ability to use that money to invest in more coaching and mentorship programs because she said that investing in herself has helped her grow so much more than working at a nine-to-five job at a w-2 job because you know when you work at a w-2 job the only way to make extra money is to just put in more time correct but when you work for yourself the best way to invest in yourself is by having other people guide you through the process because then it reduces the amount of time that you have to work on something in order to get that money back right so do you remember how much you paid for this business coach it was actually for free what it it was it was jason the things that have happened this year just Mm -hmm. you know by putting myself out there and really shifting the mindset of I have to do this to I get to do this really changed it up for me. Like I had access to all these things. It's just that no one teaches you that you do have access to that. But this was gifted for free. In exchange, I will be speaking in one of her higher ticket coaching classes, master class about Instagram growth. Which Got is it. basically what I do. <laughs> that's that's pretty smart because I know that's usually the best way to market yourself is when you mm-hmm. reach out to someone that you know you can help and actually give them results and mm-hmm. then use their testimonials as a, a marketing for your own business. So that's right. that's pretty cool though that she's doing that for free. I know she was like this this worked before and I see potential in you and yeah. I'm like you know I just basically cried. <laughs> that was. It, it was it was great. It was a great opportunity to, you know, have that. Yeah. So have you had any clients yet, yet since you started your coaching program? 
Absolutely. Uh, they're trickling in now because the, back then I kind of had a different niche. Mm -hmm. I was helping out nurse estheticians and nurse that own med spas yeah. kind of transform their Instagram and the face of it and like, you know, create a lead magnet, all of that. And now it's just that, you know, I didn't have so much experience in that, which, you know, it took time for me to realize like, yeah, you have no say in that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was Instagram growth and I did help them get results. But when I really honed in on what I want, what I wanted to do and who I wanted to help, it's just so much easier now mm. to get clients than before. It was, you know, cold emails, cold DMs. And now it's just they're, they're, they're just coming to you, knocking at your door. <laughs> this is why I don't know if you know who Dan Henry is, but yes, I okay. watch. Yeah, I follow him on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, but he is he goes so heavy on like telling his 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 customers and his clients do not try to teach or sell something that you have not done yourself correct right so now the fact that you have 50,000 followers on Instagram it gives you more credibility mm -hmm. to and and especially cuz you just went from like 40,000 to 50,000 in no time yeah. right so the fact that you're able to grow so fast now it's like okay i have the the proof is in the pudding right mm -hmm. <laughs> so i can show you how to do this so you have a website now where people can actually go and reach out to you and sign up for your mentorship program or is it a mentorship program or is it a course so right now i am in the very early stages of coming up with a course right now i work one-to-one -one, mm -hmm. but i want to be able to stretch the program out to one to many and that you know in that way that would be possible with a course yeah so i am in the early stages of brainstorming for my course i have an outline but i just need to package it and be, be able to successfully launch it i see see that's what this previous nurse that i interviewed paid fifty thousand dollars my for. goodness yes. i have um, that is fifty thousand times what I actually, you know, I'm investing yeah. and you, it, you have to be able to find the right people and yeah. you will feel that with that. I think 50K is too much unless you're doing some sort of like, I don't know how people are familiar with evergreen kind of yeah, funnel yeah. where it's, yeah, 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 I can see that. But, you know, to begin with, that's, I know. that's um, insane. But, I mean, so that was just the first investment Then she spent 25,000 on another person and 15,000 on the most recent one. But she said, actually, the one that she spent $15,000 on was the one that had one of the biggest impacts on her business. So mm -hmm. you never know who you might find that might be a little bit more exactly. in the ballpark, you know, yeah. uh, ball. So I don't know. We'll see. You just got to keep looking, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's why you got to get to those master classes. Yeah. Feel the vibe, you know, get the vibe of the room and see if it's the right fit for you. So what is your goal with the business monetarily, financially? Like, what are you looking to make on a monthly basis or on a yearly basis? Like, I know the goal is to help other nurses grow because that's what we all want. Like exactly. I talk to nurses all the time. Like I'm not selling a course, right? Mm -hmm. But when I make these videos on YouTube, it's because I want nurses to be the best person they can possibly be without feeling like they're enslaved to an employer. And then when you when you're selling this course or this program, you want you want nurses to succeed, right? But at the same time, as they're succeeding, you also need to to benefit in some way from that because you can't do this for free. Nobody's gonna do work for free. So what is your financial goal with this, let's say, in one year to five years from now? I truly believe that the true wealth is in freedom in terms of time. And, you know, wealth in every sense of the word is wealth. Yeah. Wealth of time, wealth of, you know, family relationships. Mm. Um, and that is the goal. Like, I want to be able to, you know, I, I, I have control of my time now, but I want to maximize it. And as a creative, I, you know, work in bedside truly, truly dimmed that light in me. And I didn't know that I, you know, had all these things that I'd all these skills that were just like dimmed down by because I'm always exhausted because I'm always just, you know, trying to recover from the last shift or the last three of three, you know, um, stretch. So what I wanted to share is that transformation of, hey, you're going to be able to do it while you're still working your 312s if you have a strategy of maybe batching content and maybe you know coming up with a strategy that will enable you to have more freedom because not every not everyone wants to start out oh i want to quit my job right away yeah. some nurses 
like me, you know, love our full-time gig. Like I don't see myself quitting in the next five years or maybe 10 years, but you know, one, you want to supplement. And I think what my, hopefully my reach is going to go in terms of who I want to, you know, help is nurses that don't want to quit because they have something good going for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because when I started the YouTube channel, my goal was to educate nurses first and foremost. Like I want nurses to realize because I, again, I live in Northern California and nurses across the country don't realize the amount of money that you can make out here, even when you take the cost of living into account. Because I mention it all the time. My wife and I were bringing in like anywhere from 17 to $20,000 per month after taxes. And we, our cost of living, we're only spending, this includes like preschool for our son, which we're spending like $1,300 a month on and our mortgage and all of our utilities and everything. We're spending about $7,000 per month. And then we still have $13,000 left over every month. So I try to educate nurses and tell them that it's possible to make that much money, but you have to be willing to take risks. And that risk includes maybe leaving your extended family in another state to come and move out here make mm -hmm. extra money to the point where you pay off all your debt, maybe buy a house, increase your income, save money, invest money. And then when you make enough, you can just go back home. And, and that's what I try to tell a lot of people because a lot of people are miserable across the country. A lot of nurses are miserable and they feel like they're just burning themselves out. They're work, they're overworking themselves and they're not making enough money. Mm -hmm. So you need to like what you do for them is actually really important because people don't realize how well you can monetize social media. Exactly. So even like I know a nurse that made $12,000 last, last month on Instagram alone. There's another nurse that made $32,000 on TikTok last month. I'm trying to get her on a, on one of the episodes, but mm -hmm. that's just the potential of social media. And we live in an age where if you do something like that, you can live in another country and work on your social media. I mean, right how easy it is these days right and you know being a nurse it opens up so many doors for you not just at the bedside right there's like you mentioned before there's so many different positions you can work in and in addition to that because of our nursing knowledge we mm -hmm. can then bring it into social social media and monetize that as well you know that's true what you said that's why travel nursing even though it's so tempting to do it i wanted to choose the level of heart i want to deal with yeah. like do i really want to move Every 13 weeks, you know, you know, I'm married. I, we have a dog, but I want the comfort of my own bed. I want to come home to my husband. I want to be comfortable and I'm okay versus not having, you know, a crazy $150 an hour contract versus this where I'm having fun. I get to be creative and, you know, I, it keeps me sane. Yeah. I mean, you, it's not for everyone, but you know, it's doable. So give me, if you can give me some tips for nurses that are trying to start their social media account and want to grow fast. Because, you know, it's one thing to tell somebody how to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, when you provide a mentorship program, you are guiding them step by step. So you're helping them implement some of you know, these things that Correct. will get them to success. So, mm -hmm. but you telling us doesn't mean that people are going to take action, right? But I want to know some of the tips that you might give other people to grow their social media follow. Number one is to really know your why. I It took me a long time to figure out what exactly my why was. And I peeled back like a couple layers of the why. And that last layer was the real why. You know, and the number one why could be, you know, for money, for, for this and that. For a lot of people is to monetize. But when you peel back more layers, it becomes a personal mission and you know you were a nurse you're solving your own problem and that's the why basically and I want I knew that I knew enough to monetize what I know but I, no one was teaching me how to do that or you know give me a blueprint or a framework that I could work off of that works but number one is to know your why and if you're already like say you're say for instance I used to work in a nursing home and you could easily post about uh, your journey as, you know, how you got there and maybe share some tips as a lead magnet of, you know, how to effectively, you know, chart for like 30 residents or, you know, med pass that's take that takes like 30 minutes because you've developed a system. It could be as easy as that. And then you could go as more comprehensive as you can be if you're in a different specialty. Like I'm working right now with 
a nurse practitioner who I did a quick audit of her Instagram and I didn't know and no one knew that she had two high ticket offers. Basically, she's coaching clients in terms of like pharmacology and their medications. And then she also takes clients to counsel them in terms of like maybe behavior, CBT or something like that. Yeah. And it was nowhere to be found. It's not on her reels. It's not on her landing page. It's nowhere to be found. It's just so easy to make sure that it gets seen, that it is visible. And you really have to talk about what you have to offer and find a way that it gets visible. So your whole uh, feed should be about mm -hmm. you talking about what you can provide to people and what Absolutely. benefit your, it is to them. Mm -hmm. Like, again, this is something that Dan Henry does all the time. <laughs> He's like a master at it. Yeah. And like your feed, you should, every single reel that you upload needs to be about what it is that you do and why people should be trusting in you to provide some sort of gateway for them to make more money. So like, for example, let's say you, you talk about like how you work as a pick nurse. You can talk about the steps it takes to insert our pick line. Mm -hmm. You can talk about the step-by-step -step process to do that. And if you do that in every reel and you talk about like the complications of having a pick line and things like that, then people know that you are a professional who works with inserting pick lines and that you can teach others how to do it. Right. So then you can monetize something like that because you're always talking about it and people can trust that you know what you're doing. Right. So it goes with any different profession. Like, mm -hmm. let's say you're a, a nurse who works at a med spa. I've been read med spa business uh, owners, and all they talk about is their med spa business, mm -hmm. and how much money they make in their med spa business, how many of their clients who also wanted to start their own med spa business are earning now. So you know, constantly talking about what it is that you do, what business you run, will allow other people to realize what it is that you you will be able to provide to them, right? So that's, I see, that's what you do on your Instagram account, because I actually, I look through your reels, and I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, it's always, I can see it, there's a theme here. There's a yeah. theme. Here. But it's not salesy. No. There, yeah, you can't, you sure. can't do that, because they'll feel it, and then you really truly have to establish authority that you'd know what you're doing and that you can deliver because when you push it right there, no, at the end of the day, no one wants to be sold anything. Yeah. But if you provide value and nurture them, then you can attract and convert. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So <laughs> how can people reach out to you? I know you have an Instagram account. Is there a website? And what is your Instagram? Instagram? Uh, my, all my socials are at Jumer Adeline, J-U-M-E-R-A-D-A-L-I-N. I'm in the process of revamping everything because of this course. So a new landing page, a new sales page. If you enjoyed this video and you want to see more like it, then make sure you click on this playlist here and follow us for more.